get that working. So we'll just do this. Okay. So good to see everybody. Thanks for coming. And please stay afterwards. We have food. So that's going to be good. It's good to see everybody today. So please, if you would, uh, open your Bibles to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Okay, if you would please stand with me, if you can stand, if you're better sitting, stay seated, but if you can stand for the reading of God's word, we're going to read verses 6 through 10, and then we'll pray and we'll dig in. So the apostle writes, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. Lord, we thank you that we can come and worship you and enjoy you. Lord, we sing these songs that the King is exalted. Father, I pray that is true for us in this church today. I pray that is true for us in our hearts today, that he is truly exalted in our hearts, that we can truly sing that all I have is Christ. Jesus is my life. Father, I know these words are easy to sing and hard to live, but may you give us strength to do so. And today, Lord, may you come with power and with might as we worship you in the preaching of your word. Father, that you would put your son on glorious display, Lord, that you would convict us where we need to be convicted and that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged, Lord, that you would truly show us our heart's desires. Father, give us a gift to repent and to follow you in your name. Amen. So the love of money. This is always a tough topic to speak on is money. It's always a tough topic. So we're not going to speak on it. We're going to speak on our affections that we have towards money. So Henry Skugel, in his book, The Life of God in the Soul of Man, is quoted as saying this, the worth and excellency of a soul is measured by the object of its affections. Simply to say that what we love the most, what we value the most, what we cherish the most is what we, is the value and the price we put upon our souls. That of greater value means our soul is of greater value. That of lesser value means our soul is of lesser value. That's what Henry Skugel is talking about. And so that is today. What do you value the most? What captures your soul the most? What is the one thing you cannot live without? Most teenagers would say it's their phone or their social media. Look at what you spend the most time doing. Look at these things. 
And it'll tell us where our soul is. But today, what Paul wants us to look at is the affections we have towards money. The affections we have towards money, which is a good topic to look at. It's our affections. It's not that money is bad, but it's our affections towards that money. Listen to what some of these rich people say. You may have heard of some of them, and some of you may not. John D. Rockefeller. He says this, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. He also says, the poorest man I know is the man who has nothing but money. Cornelius Vanderbilt, the care of millions is too great a load. There is no pleasure in it. Millionaire John Jacob Astor described himself as the most miserable man on earth. Henry Ford said, I was happier doing the mechanic's work. And Solomon sums it up by saying this in Ecclesiastes 5.10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. This comes from the richest person ever. You will not be satisfied. You will not be satisfied. So then, as believers, how do we then view money? Because we have to have money, right? We have to have money to buy groceries, we have to buy money to have the power bill, our mortgages, or our rent. We have to have money, but we also need to have a proper view of money. That's what we have to have. So first of all, what we have to understand is money or wealth is not bad. It's not bad. As we read the Bible, we see there was plenty of people in the Bible that had money. Abraham was wealthy, and Solomon was wealthy, These are two men that were wealthy. Job was even wealthy. Job is an interesting one because God had taken all of Job's wealth away from him at one point in time. But he was a wealthy man. We also have to understand that money comes from God. Money comes from God. In 1 Chronicles 29, 12, this is what it says. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hands are power and might, and in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. Money comes from God. The very money we have does not come from our employers. It comes from God. It's God's gracious gift to us that we get a paycheck or that I get paid for a haircut or that you get a retirement account or you get a 401k. This is God's grace to us. He is the one that the money comes from. We also must be sure that we do not find our security in our money, that we don't find our stability in our money. Listen to 1 Timothy 6.17. As for the rich in this present age... Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. As rich, we are not to set our hope on the uncertainty of riches. On riches. Now, we might sit here and I, I, we might all be sitting here saying, well, you know, that's the good thing about this message is because I'm not rich. Well, we are rich. And I love the example John Piper uses. How many of you have a toilet that flushes? Does everybody have a toilet that flushes or nobody has a toilet that flushes? Everybody has toilets that flush, right? You're rich. You're simply rich. So this does apply to us. Our affections towards money applies for us. 
So we must be sure that we do not place our security or our hope in money. Money not, must not be what we chase after. It must not be our end goal. Matthew 6.24, the Lord Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In addition, we must not love money. We must not love money. Hebrews 13.5 says this, Keep your life free from the love of money. So our affections cannot be for money. So in our text today, as we look at this text in 1 Timothy uh, 6 through 10, or chapter 6, 6 through 10, what are we going to miss out if we love money? What are we going to miss out on if our affections are not for God? Here's our first thing I want to look at. When we love money, we miss what is truly profitable. When we love money, we miss what is truly profitable. Look at 1 Timothy 6, 6. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So we miss out on godliness. We miss out on contentment. Now, last week we looked at, or two weeks ago, we looked at the false prophet, right? The false teacher, where he looks at it as godliness as great gain. He looks at it as good gain. But he's looking at it in the area of filling his pocketbook. That's what he's looking at, padding his pocketbook. He looks at this as a money getter. This is different here. What we look at is it's truly profitable. But when we love money, we miss out on this godliness or this Christ-likeness. This is what's truly, truly profitable is to live a Christ-like life, a godly life. 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8 puts us this way. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. Contentment means sufficiency. It means being content. This is tough, I think, for most Americans. I think this is tough for us to be content. Paul talks about contentment. And we have to understand that true godliness, when we pursue Christ's likeness and we pursue Christ, that produces contentment. That produces contentment. Paul, he's a perfect example. In Philippians 4, 11 through 13, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul is saying, I can get along in life if I have a lot of money. I can get along in life if I don't have any money. Why? Because I've learned, learned. There's the key word, learned, brothers and sisters. This isn't all of a sudden God saves us and bam, we're content. I wish that's what it was like. But even Paul says, I have learned how to be content in every circumstance. And it's the same for us. In order for us to be content as Christians, as we chase after Christ, we have to learn how to be content. We have to learn how to abound. We have to learn to be content in that. We have to be 
uh, content and when we are brought low. We have to learn this. Why? Because it's Christ who strengthens us in these areas. That's what Paul is saying. The writer of the Hebrews, again in 13.5, says this, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. This is contentment. It's being content with what we have. To be content means that you are satisfied with what you have. This is where we have to examine ourselves. We have to check our hearts. We have to do a check on everything and say, am I content where I'm at? Am I happy where I'm at? Am I content with what I have? Or do I need more? Do I need more? Rockefeller, again, is quoted as uh, they asked him a question. Mr. Rockefeller, how much is enough? And he says, just a little more. Is that you? How much is enough? Is it just a little more? Just a little more? John MacArthur writes this, the richest person is the one who doesn't need anything else. The richest person is the one who doesn't need anything else. Brothers and sisters, Christ became poor so that we could become rich. We are the richest people on the planet sitting here right now because we have Christ. That is true wealth. That is true riches. That is true godliness. The contented man says these words, Proverbs 30, 8 and 9. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be fool and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and still and profane the name of my God. Solomon is saying in these Proverbs, Make me a content person. Make me a content person. Don't give me too much money that I forget about you. But don't give me too little money, Lord, that I have to go and steal. It's a content person. Simply to say, if our heart's affection is for money, then we will not pursue Christ-likeness, which means we will miss the rare jewel of Christian contentment. Secondly, when we love money, we miss the true reality. We miss true reality. Look at verse 7. Says this, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. This is true. We've all been to funerals, right? We've all been to funerals. There's one thing that's not behind the hearse, and that's a U Haul. You can't take it with you when you go. You know, we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of the world. But when we have our affections are for money, that is what we're doing. We're concentrating on not reality. The reality is, is that we're all going to die and we'll take none of it with us. Solomon says that in Ecclesiastes. He says, I've amassed all this and somebody from behind me is going to come up and enjoy it all. And that's exactly what happened. Reboam, his son, came up and he enjoyed it all and lost it all. And so it's vanity when we think we can take something with us. When we die, we, we cannot. We cannot. Job put it this way in Job one twenty one, And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Proverbs 27.24 <coughs> 
For riches do not last forever. And does a crown endure to all generations? Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 5.15, As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. So we see that we can take nothing with us when we go. Jesus has a great parable. Jesus tells this parable in Luke. Listen to this parable about chasing after the here and now, about doing this, about chasing after it. He says this in Luke 12, 15 through 21. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Isn't that how we look at stuff in this country? I'm not sure about other countries because I've never been to other countries. I've only been in this one. But we're measured by how big our house is or what's in the driveway or how much money I make or how much money I got to pay in taxes. We're measured on this, you know. But Jesus says one life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool. Don't miss that. God calls this man a fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. This is someone who lives in the here and now. This is someone who takes his money and his wealth and he puts it towards the temporal and not the eternal. The heart wants what the heart wants. And if the heart's desire is for the things of the here and now, then we will lose focus on the eternal. It'll always be temporal satisfaction. So when we love money, brothers and sisters, we miss the true reality. We miss the true reality. Third, when we love money, we forget about the simplicity of life, the simpleness of life. That's what we all want to live, right? I just want to live a simple life. That's all I want to live. I want to live a life with no drama, right? And, and I don't want to be around people with drama, you know, and... Um, and everything. And so that's what we want. We want this simple life. Look at 1 Timothy 6 8. But if we have food and clothing with this, we will be content. Right? The simple things of life food, clothing, shelter. But he doesn't put shelter in there, but we add shelter. But he says the simple things food and clothing. Right? Food and clothing. Hebrews 13 5 again. This is why we are to be content with food and clothing. Because simply, the simpleness of life is having Christ. We have Christ. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Are we completely and fully content with that? I got to stay behind here. I want to be walking around. And uh, are we content with Christ? Are we content with those things that Jesus says, I will never leave you? And I will never forsake you. 
right? We have a friend who is always there. We have a brother who is always there. We have a king who is always there. We have the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the eternal God himself that is always there. And he says, I never leave you. Why are you chasing after this and this and this when you have all of this? Be content, brothers and sisters, with all of this, the simplicity of life. God will supply all of our needs. So what does this simplicity of life look like? It's pretty simple. It's being content with what God has given you and I. It's being content with what he's given you and I. Philippians 4.11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul was content. He was good with what God had given him. And he's writing this letter from prison. And he's content in his circumstances. Secondly, it's understanding that God owns everything we have. There is not one thing in your house that God does not own. See, we have this idea that we look at it, I earned it. I went to work. I earned it. So it's mine. The money I make is mine. No, the money you make is his, like we said before. And it's a gracious gift from him. That is what it is. He is the one who's given you the job. He's the one who's given you the paycheck. That's what he has done. He owns everything we have. We are just merely stewards of this. Listen to 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? Great question. You should ask yourself that often. What do I have that I didn't receive? Tell me one thing that you have earned. And if you can come up with one thing that you've earned, then we can take it backwards and I can show you that you haven't earned it. That it was a gift to you, right? What have you earned? What have you received? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? We're not to boast in these things, right? We're to understand that God owns everything. And we're to be thankful. This is the simple life, being thankful. This is where I fall really short. I'm a very grace, uh, thankless person. I really am, and it's something I really need to work on is just being thankful for what I have. I mean, the simple things. How many times do we pray and we thank God for the pair of shoes we have? I remember Scotty went over to the Philippines, and it just struck me, this quick story, and it struck me that he went on a date with this younger gal, and uh, they went to the mall because I guess the mall is the place to go because that's where the air conditioning is. And so everybody goes to the mall, and he takes her shopping, and he asks her, he says, what do you need? What do you need? And you know what she said? It really just struck me, and it blew me away. I was glad I was sitting down. She said, I need a pillowcase. A pillowcase. Just one. How many pillowcases, brothers and sisters, do we have in our hall closets? How many pillows do we have? And we probably got three pillowcases for every pillow we have. And this young lady needed a pillowcase. Are we thankful for the one pillowcase that we have? 
Because that is a gift from God. And when our affection is for money, we accumulate and accumulate and accumulate because we think we need, 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 need. Which leads us to the other thing, is being thankful for what we have. Listen to Psalms 100, verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Ephesians 5.20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to give thanks for everything we have. The clothes we have on. The cars we drive. We're to be thankful people. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Oh, you guys want to know what the will of God is? We're always asking that question, so what's the will of God for me? Well, how about this one? Give thanks in all your circumstances. Whether they're good, whether they're bad, whether they're painful, whether they're not painful. You know, we got some back issues in this place. It seems like we all got back issues. You know, are we thankful for the circumstances that we are in? Oh, my back hurts so bad, but God, thank you. For one day, it will not hurt, because I'll be with you. We also have to, the simplicity of life is understanding the difference between wants and needs. Is understanding the difference between wants and needs. Do I want this, or do I need this? I was just on Amazon this morning. Oh, man. And I was, like, filling my cart up with all these books. And then I got to thinking, I got all those books out in the front room that I haven't read yet. Why do I want all these books? Because these are better books than the books I already got. But I don't need those books because I got all these books. I mean, that's me. It's books, right? Me, it's books. It might be something different for everybody else. We're all not the same. But we have to understand the difference between our wants and needs. And we have to understand that God is always going to give us what we need. And we have to understand one thing. It's what he thinks we need, not what we think he, sh- he should think that we need. It's what he thinks we need. Listen to Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God will give us everything we need. Brothers and sisters, our affections should not be for money. It should be for Christ fully and completely knowing that he will give us all that we need. Fourthly, when we love money, we are caught in a snare. We get caught up in snares. 1 Timothy 6, 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. This word desire is, means to be disposed or intend. Fall into temptation. This is a continual falling. In the, in the Greek, it's a, <coughs> the Greek tense is that it's a continuous action. So what it's saying is that those who desire to be rich are continually falling. Continually falling into snares. Continually falling into temptations. Continually falling into senseless and harmful desires. Those who desire to be rich. This is your state. If you desire to be rich... You're going to do this. Those who are driven by their greed always want more. They always want more. They are never satisfied. They accumulate more money so they can have more things. And then they become like the farmer in Jesus' parable. 
when they've accumulated all these things and they sit in their chair and they kick back in the lazy boy and they say, today my soul is good. And God says, you fool. You have built barns for you. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't save money. You shouldn't put away for retirement. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying it's when you find your security in that. That's what Jesus is talking about. You fool, your life is required of you today. You leave it all behind. Desiring to be rich. Their drive for materialism compromises the conscience. It compromises your conscience. Therefore, their eternal state is at risk. This is us, brothers and sisters. When we desire to be rich, we fall into the same things. We fall into these harmful and senseless desires that we have. Our consciences become seared. And our eternal state is at risk. Listen to 1 Timothy 6, 9. The B part of it, he says this. He says, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. This is eternal ruin. This is eternal destruction. This word plunge means to sink down, to be sinking. In essence, what it's saying is those who desire to be rich ultimately drown themselves in their desire for this. Their cravings take over. This destruction means it's an eternal damnation. It's eternal destruction. That God is prepared beforehand for them. There is an eternal destruction. And God does determine this. Listen to Romans 9.22. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? There is an eternal destruction. Our affections show us where we're going to be. The love of money brings destruction to people. Think about it. Think about Judas. Man, this bloke, he walked with Jesus. He was a disciple with Jesus. He saw all the miracles. He saw all the healings. He saw Jesus raise people from the dead. And for 30 pieces of silver destruction money his love for the money he was the treasurer he stole money he had a love for money and he followed riches 30 pieces of silver think of, think of Judas real simple how about Achan not many people know about Achan but Achan was a guy that took some stuff from Jericho when Jericho fell in the book of Joshua, God said, you take nothing from there. And Achan, in his desire for riches, he takes stuff. The outcome, Israel goes to Ai, they lose. Well, why do we lose? God tells Joshua, there's someone in your midst that has disobeyed me. And it was Achan. So what was Achan's punishment? He lost his life and his family. Destruction. Brothers and sisters, when we chase after riches, it would only bring ruin and destruction. Zephaniah 1.18. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. Your riches will not be able to deliver you. 
if you're chasing after this. There's only one deliverer, and it's not the almighty dollar, but it is the almighty King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, who has come and he has died and he has taken your sin in that death. He became your substitute. This is our greatest need. God has provided our greatest need and he provided a savior. He provided a way for us to be saved and that is Jesus Christ. And in trusting in him, trusting in his death, calling out to him, repenting of our sin, he saves us and he makes us new, redeemed by the blood of the lamb. I am new, the song says. This is our hope. This is Christ. Our money will not save us from destruction. It doesn't matter what your bank account is. God says in in, in in Matthew 5, that the bank account is bankrupt. That is you and I. We are bankrupt and we are in need of Christ because of our sin. Call out to him and he'll save you today. Trust in him and he'll save you today. Find that the gospel is the most precious thing that you have. That is the worth and excellency of your soul is the gospel. You put your you, you put your hope in the gospel, your soul is the most valuable thing there is then. Because the gospel is the most valuable thing that we as believers have. Because God is the gospel. Our money won't save us. And finally, our affections for money will take us away from God. They simply take us away from God. Because money becomes our God. Right? 1 Timothy 6.10 For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It's the love is the root. Right? Love is the root. Money is not the bad thing. It's the affection. That's the root. That's what we have to root up. It's like weeds in our garden, right? We got to go down and we got to get the roots. I got weeds in my grass. I'm just thankful they're green because they clodge in. But I got to get down to the root to get them out. This is it. It's the root. And this craving, this craving that it says, right? It is through this craving that some have wandered away. This craving means to covet after. To covet after. It's the cause of many evils, right? It's compromise, it's compromise. The love of money will compromise us, right? We'll, it creates indulgences. We, we, we've seen it in our, in our, in our uh, judicial systems. We've seen it in our political systems that it creates bribery. It sears the conscience. It causes us to lie, to steal, to cheat, to murder. All of it can be related back to money. This is what it does. We wander away from the faith. Ultimately, the love of money causes us to wander away. And all we have to do is think of Demas. In 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul says this, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. But Demas, in love with this present world. Brothers and sisters, is that your affections? Are you in love with this present world? Are you chasing after all that it has? 
doesn't mean we can't enjoy things. God has given us things to enjoy. But we have to check our affections towards these things. Our affections towards things. So what must we do? Real quickly, what must we do? Number one, we must always keep the gospel in front of us. If we are gospel-driven Christians, we'll always keep the gospel in front of us. And just as the Puritans, those of us that were in Sunday school, we will always have a high value, a high view of who God is because we will understand the gospel. We will understand the gospel. Secondly, we have to understand that this does not look the same for everybody. There's going to be people that have more money than other people. And we can't sit there if we're the poor side and sit there and look at the rich side and say, oh man, they got a love for money. No, it's different for everybody. Paul is not talking about, he's talking about your affections towards it. Even the rich person has to check their affections towards their money. The poor person has to check their affections towards money. It looks different for all of us. It's you examining your own heart and letting the Holy Spirit examine your heart and showing you if you do have this love. We have to understand that God isn't against us not having stuff. God is not against us having stuff. We can have stuff. But God is against stuff having us. He is against stuff having us. Always examine the intent of your heart when it comes to money. Continue to pursue Christ, the true treasure. Strive for contentment. Be happy with what God has given you. Be satisfied with what he has provided. Keep your affections pointed towards the eternal and not the temporal. So to close, brothers and sisters, I ask, does money capture your affection or does the beauty and excellency and majesty of Christ? Remember, the worth and excellency of a soul is measured by the object of its affections. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for this time. Father, I ask that we would be a church, that we would be a church of your saints who are rich towards you. Father, I know you've given me everything that I need. And I would assume you've done the same for everybody in here. And you've probably given us more than we need. You've given us an abundance of what we need. Father, help us to be grateful for those. Help us to examine our hearts, Lord, to see what our true affections are towards money. Father, I ask this that you would be glorified, that we would be people that keep our eyes focused on the eternal, and that we would be a people that are driven by the gospel, and that we would be people, Father, that love you and not our stuff. In your name, amen. Please stand as we sing our last song.